Hello and welcome to Playwright, a podcast about creating and sharing new ways to play. Ryan, I put out a tweet from the Playwright account today saying that we're all out of uh, community pitches. Please, somebody, can you spare us just one more, just one more <laughs> idea from your brilliant little minds? Yes. A uh, little, little comparative to the scale of the universe, I want to say. I don't want to imply that any of our listening audience is, is dumb or has a mind that is little in comparison with the human average. <laughs> you know what? I was watching uh, yesterday. I went out in not so, I was going to call it impulse purchased a 4K mm-hmm. TV, but not so impulse um, hmm. finally I was just tied it over and I was like, okay, today's the day and must've been the tax return that did it. Uh, <laughs> and <Very good. laughs> I, uh, I got this 4k TV. And so last night, Jessica and I were watching planet earth Two. Yeah. Right. That's a weird title. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the, the worst sequel of the, uh, the fine globe that we live in. But yeah, I was started watching it and to go back to the you know brilliant mind of humans i watched all these animals and they did all these things there were sloths and penguins and all these amazing animals um and some of the stuff they do is absolutely crazy and then i thought and we're on the top of the food chain just cuz <laughs> just cuz for some reason we ended up with the correct set of things thumbs mm. and spines and big pink juicy brains that let us do things like you know invent video games but then also genocide it's a very strange world we live in Hmm. that is uh i think those are the two opposite ends of the spectrum there i think (laughs) you traced out both polar polarities (laughs) yes video games and genocide unless you're playing rome total war in which case you dabble in both i suppose that's right best of both worlds One of those worlds does not have very many upsides, so you have to kind of take what you can get. <laughs> right, in a, in a very large grain of salt. Yes. Anyways, let's get into our pitches today. Before we do that, we should introduce ourselves. Oh, My yes. name is Ryan Heyman. You can call me H. <laughs> I'm Ryan Quintel. You can call me Q. It feels uh, more and more unnecessary every week, but <laughs> who knows? <laughs> every week might be somebody's first. I am going to make it my mission this week to share this with enough people that it will be somebody's first episode, I promise. Well, you're always chasing that first time. (laughs) That's right. Um, Okay, I'm going to start my pitch this week by taking you back to my favorite uh, movie that got me into zombies when I was a teenager in the whole zombie genre, Mm. Night of the Living Dead. We start right from the beginning then. (laughs) Yes. um, I specifically identify with the 1990s Night of the Living Dead, but I I love the 1960s one. I want to pitch to you a Night of the Living Dead round-based zombie survival sim that feels like a little combination of Rainbow Six um, and Rust and Mm. uh, Ark and like all these crazy survival games where you come in as player one, potentially it's a two-player thing, and you spawn in, and you are trying to survive the night. And slowly throughout the course of a round, all the characters of Night of the Living Dead are introduced. uh, Harry Cooper, his wife, uh, Johnny, who owns the house that you're kind of stranded at, uh, and Judy Rose, his girlfriend. And it kind of follows the plot of the movie Night of the Living Dead, where you start off in a graveyard, you have to escape that and make it to the farmhouse. And once you're at the farmhouse, as time progresses, you find out that somebody shows up, they have a car, 
it's out of gas. So you have to locate the keys to a gas pump. You have to get the car to the gas pump. You have to pump the gas and you have to escape in the car. And that's potentially your win scenario. In between, we can do any sort of detail fleshing out. We can add more beats from the movie or make it a little bit more open-ended. But uh, I like generally playing in the Night of the Living Dead fiction. Let's uh, start the clock and see where we can take that. Uh, So I'm a little bit confused. A lot of the examples that you gave of uh, Game Seaver kind of modeling this after were like multiplayer games, but this seems like yeah. a very like linear story base. Like you are playing a specific part in the uh, movie. Is this a single player or like a multiplayer experience? That's a good question. So I was imagining it was one or two players. If it's two players, you kind of get the Barbara Ben dynamic of mm, two okay. heroes um, that are trying to make this thing work. Uh, and if if you do do two players, if you do do two players, if you choose to do two player, um, then a nice little twist I thought would be if someone is bitten by a zombie because when you when there is no second, you know, there's no life bar, there's no second hit yeah. uh, in, in Night of the Living Dead. You're bit, you're it's a countdown until you're a zombie. So I figured if you are a player and you are bit and your partner is not, then when you turn into a zombie the only way you can still get points or credits or whatever is to turn as many people in the house and wreak chaos on your former partner uh, as possible. Hmm. All right. It would be interesting if you had the option to hide the fact that you'd been bitten. That's always a part of these zombie stories. Is oh yeah. To... You don't have to tell them. Yes. Right. And so, um, but I was thinking like this would also be a really cool, like couch multiplayer type game to have somebody there right, right there with you. And it might be kind of hard to um, hide that fact if you see you're right on screen, you know, the screen flashing red as they are bitten by a zombie or, you know, all the kind of visual indications that the player would need to know that they had been bitten. But I was also thinking maybe there could be like a companion app on the phone that can vibrate when you've been bitten by a zombie. And so you can oh, just, just kind of like have that you in your personally pocket. Know. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so you know, but maybe uh, maybe the person you're playing with doesn't. Man, you just get a text saying, guess what? You've got 10 minutes left before you turn. Yeah, and just to kind of like throw everyone off the tra- uh, trail, maybe everyone's getting texts throughout the game about safe points, but different pieces of information. Um, you know, you maybe have to work together. Like, um... Uh, what is it? Don't stop talking or everybody blows up something. Oh yeah. Stop yeah, talking yeah. and everyone explodes something like that. Yeah, oh yeah. gosh, I should remember this. <laughs> <laughs> I also, I, one of the reasons why I described it rainbow six style to me mm-hmm. is the, the round, I guess maybe another uh, analog would be say killing floor where the, the general feeling of a round would be it starts off light with zombies, but as the night progresses, just like in the movie, the numbers just kind of keep going up until, you know, before the dawn, you're potentially in a sea of these creatures. Uh, and holding up the house, I think is a compelling second type of win scenario, like just surviving the night of trying to, board up the house and keep all the defenses going and 
you know, <laughs> keep falling back into the attic or the basement or wherever to survive until people come and, you know, help arrives. Spoiler alert for someone who hasn't seen the 1963 Night of the Living Dead. Uh, Although, how helpful is that help, really? That's true. Yes. So we can go to that. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so like, you know, that feeling of another window's being knocked down, sort of your Call of Duty zombies mode yeah. um, sort of feeling mixed with, you know, I love using Judy Rose as your uh, go-to panicker, um, an AI that potentially can make a mistake or a bad decision mm. or just gives up on a barricade. And like, maybe if people can hold barricades, she gives up and lets zombies pour in. Um, you know, you have Johnny who you can have as sort of an, you can write these AIs to feel like the characters that maybe do different random things. He's impulsive. Harry Cooper is just an ass who's kind of always thwarting you. And Helen is very sympathetic and maybe just someone who you need to protect and look after. I also thought in, in Night of the Living Dead, Harry has a daughter uh, named Sarah who uh, becomes a zombie in that film. And she becomes a zombie from within the house. And so yeah. I thought it would be interesting if you play around and either you choose a difficulty or you just randomly give him some number of children. And they are the the <laughs> toughest zombies. So potentially you're dealing with, oh, we've got five little crazy zombies that are running around this house now. But they show up infected and yet you still have to deal with that at some point. I like the idea of maybe you uh, are given a choice as to whether or not you allow people within the home. Uh, they can provide benefits to you later on, or they could potentially bring a lot of negative stuff from the outside world into the house with you, uh, increasing the risk to you and the other people that are holed up inside. A little bit of a management aspect there. I want to know more about the gameplay, the moment-to-moment -moment gameplay, and I want to hear something that couldn't be done in Left 4 Dead. Yeah, okay, that's fair. Well, I think one of the things that's interesting to me that sort of the Night of the Living, not the Night of the Living Dead, the Friday the 13th video game did hmm. was a random spawn as to the location of these keys every time. And maybe where, where even the gas station is in relation to you. Right in, in Night of the Living Dead, there is doors and stuff that they can use to board up the house. But if you're going to survive the whole night, you actually need more wood probably than what is internal to the house's resources. Mm. So you're going to have to go out uh, and make it through some of these zombies before they get too dense to actually gather wood and gather supplies and bring those back to the house to maybe keep everybody uh, secure or uh, who knows, maybe even fed for God's sake. Um, That's a good time to separate the players as well, because you want to introduce some level of uncertainty as to whether or not the other person had been bitten, but you don't want uh, them to always see what's happening to the other person. So if they are going to get everything that they need to really like thrive throughout the night, then maybe uh, splitting up and looking in different directions would be the most beneficial. I even like the idea if, you know, we talk about uncertainty, if you get hit and you see, you know, maybe you get hit by multiple means. Maybe there's some animals and some wildlife out there that are also hazardous or stepping on mm. traps and stuff uh, are hazardous. And so the idea of in the heat of something, you don't know if you've been bit or if you were just suffered some regular injury oh okay yeah <laughs> and and you yourself 
uh, are an unbeknownst time bomb to your partner. <laughs> so <laughs> all of a sudden, you know, you find yourself starting to cough or sneeze or give some sort of auditory tell yeah. as to what might be going on. A lot of the movie, especially the old movie, I have not seen the remake, and so I don't really know how to compare the two, but uh, the old one is very kind of socially and racially conscious, I would say. Yeah. And a lot of the uh, drama throughout the movie was kind of navigating these social chasms in uh, in between these characters to reason with them in times of 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 disaster really so yeah. i'm uh, interested in how can we explore some of the more social um aspects of this story without sacrificing the core gameplay loop i think that's absolutely spot on in terms of the observation in romero uh, George Romero, the director and sort of creator of all this stuff, he would always lean into the social stuff more. And I think it would be interesting if to, you know, satiate people or keep them happy, say Judy Rose is freaking out and you need to find some way to calm her down or Cooper uh, has some, you know, some need that you need to fulfill uh, so that he doesn't end up kind of turning on you later on. There's stuff like that, but so much of what the film does is racial and a little bit class-based mm-hmm. and political. I don't, I'm not sure how a game could handle that in a way that is repeatable. If that makes sense, mm, like okay. if some if somebody is, you know, <laughs> just uses slurs or something, then. Uh, well, but, I, I, mean, I would hate to desensitize uh, uh, yeah. Telltale's Walking Dead had uh, season one had that between Lee and the uh, old grumpy guy, you know. Um, And, you know, part of that was kind of racially charged, but it was integrated in a way that didn't feel necessarily exploitative of the situation. And so, you know, if we were to cut away to Telltale-style conversation segments, then that would kind of interrupt the flow of the gameplay. But maybe it's something that can be, like, ludically developed if you are giving orders to people, if you choose to partner with certain groups if you potentially save the lives of other people act heroically versus staying safe then all of these things can have an effect on how much people trust you and how much people respect you in the situation yeah one of the things i think is interesting when you think of it like that is i had gone into this assuming time was on a certain pace and scale and if you try to really space it out and make, you know, surviving the night feel like an eight hour or 10 or 12 hour ordeal. Yeah. <laughs> and you, and you actually let that time fill. And I think it would be also a great way to sell the Romero Night of the Living Dead feeling of the zombies are slow and they don't seem like a threat at first, but they're just going to keep coming and coming and coming. And it doesn't matter how slow they are they eventually become a threat in their numbers. And I think that would give the the game great space to breathe and have those conversations and even just be a single player, um, potentially co-op or not uh, type of adventure that you yeah. could do all that storytelling in. And now we have Night of the Living Dead, the game, quite literally. <laughs> That's interesting. I like that. We're out of time, though. So this might be a pretty easy task, but uh, do you have a name for this game? <laughs> Uh, yeah, I was just going to call it Night of the Living Dead, the game. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) No surprises there. 
that's all right. Not everything has to be a surprise. Yeah, hopefully the concept was more of a surprise than right. the, the title. <laughs> all right, so it's my turn. Well, we'll see how this goes. I'm thinking I've been getting into the Phoenix Wright games, or the Ace Attorney games, rather, uh, because it's not just Phoenix Wright who serves as the protagonist for all the games, but uh, a an Ace Attorney-like game that's kind of a heightened reality, uh, bordering fantasy, uh, but a more or less authentic, not authentic, authentic, but, you know, somewhat... Um, at least has its heart in the right place representation of what would probably be a fairly mundane job in real life um and so i want something like that but for being a doctor and i know that there's a few like um trauma centers and stuff like that that tend to emphasize a lot of the actions that a a surgeon or a doctor would perform the um surgeries and the stitches and all of the you know real gross parts of it but it just kind of something that's more all-encompassing of the doctoral experience in a heightened reality world so i'm starting the clock so i'm gonna need a little help here just like you wanted some primers what is the gameplay of phoenix wright ace attorney Ah, interesting. You've not played a Phoenix Wright game before? I've, I've never played one, no. Ah, you would probably really like that, actually. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, they're uh, widely available on phones. It's probably a great place to pick them up if you need a uh, need to jump in. Um, anyways, they are visual novels, so to speak, um, kind of like the uh, Zero Escape or the Rampa games. Um, okay. You end up playing through it's it's a lot of of reading through text and uh, dialogue but there's also some elements of investigation getting to move from scene to scene and finding clues and everything but everything is heavily heavily scripted and so you know you aren't going to miss something and then be unprepared when you're in court you're not going to every everything is very strictly regimented you will get all the clues before we allow the day to progress um, and so, you know, it's just like reading through a book in that way. Uh, but the real highlights of the games comes from the trial segments where you, Phoenix Wright, or Apollo Justice are a defense attorney and you are defending somebody who's accused of a crime and you have to cross-examine all the witnesses trying to poke holes in their oh, stories cool. because, of course, those are very uh, damning of the individual that you're sworn to uh, represent and there's also um, you have to use the evidence that you found or evidence that's been presented in court uh, to poke holes in their testimony to try to argue your client's case. And it's all very linear, but it's still really thrilling when you uh, puzzle it all out. OK, so I have some source of inspiration because my I'm talking a lot about my girlfriend today, but she has been watching a lot of ER recently. And I was so surprised as someone who, again, never watched ER. So I'm missing two fantastic things now, both Phoenix Wright and (laughs) ER. I was surprised with everywhere that the show goes, um, both in the in the personal lives of the characters. Sure. But it moreover in the way that the show demonstrates doctors making potential errors in judgment uh, or errors in diagnoses. Mm, So I love the idea of there being a phase of this that is 
trying to come up with a treatment plan or diagnoses and having, you know, patients come back and tell you how their symptoms have changed and that sort of stuff. One of the things about Phoenix Wright is that each of the trials takes place over a three-day period. Um, not all of them extend to three days, but there's a three-day maximum, and then often the more involved trials reach that limit. It does a good job of kind of breaking it up into different acts, and so new information will be introduced that changes the way that you view the information that's already there, and there's all these plot twists and stuff like that. So I think it'd be really fun to incorporate that into a medical setting, but you know, it's really easy for us to say, I want a story just as good as Phoenix Wright, but set it somewhere else. You know, that's like the laziest possible pitch that I could give. So I also want to introduce the idea of maybe this is like an educational experience as well. Like I want to learn about uh, these different diseases. I want to learn about uh, these afflictions, about how potentially to how a doctor would treat one of them, not in the way that I would feel qualified to perform appendix appendix surgery myself but uh in the way that like house md gave you a sense of like oh interesting (laughs) i learned a little bit more about lupus today i think the doctoring profession lends itself so well more certainly more than being an attorney to mini games and Mm -hmm. whether those mini games are like okay here's an x-ray uh, of a healthy person body part and of this person body part and like or maybe just that person's body part and like trying to see if you can circle or highlight the things that you think are wrong with it um surgery is obviously a you know not not in surgeon simulator style but uh you know surgery is always kind of a topic of interest for video games people want to simulate what it's like to get get up and cut something open and really dissect something so i think those are interesting but also just something as simple as taking someone's blood uh or you know knowing you know, knowing what kind of dose of something to give someone or what to call out in the heat of the moment. If you do place this in an emergency room, even the act of people just showing up and you having to deal with potentially multiple people at the same time, what what decisions do you make and whose lives can you save or can't you? Yeah. One of the things that I'm having a hard time deciding is whether or not I want there to be clear failure states. I mean, there would have to be some sort of a you lose scenario, but that could easily be reverted to like a, you know, last save. But in Phoenix Wright, you know, it's everything just continually moves forward. There's no getting something wrong. I mean, if you get something wrong, then you just have to, you get like five grace wrongdoings and then you get go back to your previous save, whatever. I'm interested also in uh, games that let you get something wrong and let you see kind of the consequences of those actions, the ramifications. And so in something as important as uh, correctly diagnosing something, it would be really interesting to let players get that wrong and then go in for the surgery and see like, oh, this isn't inflamed at all. This is, we're in the wrong place. We're putting this person's life at risk. And how are we going to explain this? Um, But at the same time, I feel like if there are those types of failure states, then it doesn't allow the same kind of twists that those good, uh, those Ace Attorney games give you, where on day two, 
you'll receive a new piece of information that's like, whoa, we are looking at everything all wrong and this changes everything. We're going to go in this direction now. And so I want those kinds of twists. But I think that kind of necessitates people being guided down a certain direction first so that you can twist it later. Yeah, I think it would be a game that would be interesting to handle maybe what information you tell patients or rather how you tell them uh, the information. Maybe the patients themselves are reacting different ways to the diagnosis. There was a a really interesting episode of ER where an elderly woman came in who suffered from dementia and she believed it was like 19, you know, 50 something. Mm. And the doctor kind of had to, you know, treat that with some level of sensitivity if she wasn't going to, you know, to keep her from sort of running away and uh, not being able to save her life because she had some, some serious medical problems. So the idea of, you know, having that social construct of learning how to read and deal with the patients uh, over, you know, what what the treatment is could be pretty interesting. Right. So I not only want to uh, kind of bring into this the elements of, of performing procedures, of diagnosing diseases, all those kind of like rote memorization tasks, but also... Uh, incorporating bedside manner and interfacing with hospital staff and the um, the patients that come in, their family even. And so uh, I like the Phoenix Wright scenarios because everything is a very like heightened reality. All the characters have ridiculous pun names and they're all <laughs> like super heightened versions of those characters. And I think that's a fun setting to set this in because it's just realistic enough to feel like the stakes are high, but it's just absurd enough to where it doesn't feel like there are necessarily like real lives at stake here. Are you anticipating a complete visual novel style of gameplay or is there some motion or some movement on, you know, in this idea? I think you can phase in and out of it depending on the like the phase of the um, healing process of the doctoring. <laughs> uh, like there are different tasks that you'll have to perform. You'll probably switch between uh, diagnosis, actual treatment, and then just being a doctor in a doctor setting, whether yeah. that's going and talking to the staff or you know running into the next room and trying to see if there's a specific type of specialist for whatever kind of disease that the person has. Um, or talking to the patients and all of that would be in like a visual novel. If we're leaning into the anime aspect of this, uh -huh. maybe we could make all the doctors very hunky and do sort of a dream <laughs> doctors uh, kind of thing where all the doctors are very attractive men of different stature and uh, they are treating the patients and all the patients love to be treated by the, the dream doctors. <laughs> I do like that. The Phoenix Wright game is full. A uh, Phoenix Wright series is full of uh, characters that are just built like football players, and nobody really comments on it. It's just like everyone's just like super, like has a amazing build for some reason. <laughs> Strange. But anyways, um, that's all the time we have on that one. What I want to call this is, uh, I want it to be some sort of like a like a name super surgeon or super doctor or yes like a ace attorney right you, we, maybe some kind of playing off of that i want a good like 
You good. need alliteration, I think. Dream Doctor actually kind <laughs> Dream, of works. <laughs> Dream Doctor does. We need a name, though. A name of this character. <laughs> this is Surge. He could be like a surgeon. Yeah, I was thinking about that. How about Ian Surge? Because <laughs> it's like Surgeon if you put like the comma, like the last name, comma, first name. Yeah. But it's just like subtle enough. Ian Surge. Ian Surge, Dream, Dream Doctor. Dream Doctor. Yes. <laughs> Found it. Good. Great job. We are moving now to our community who we mentioned earlier. They gave us a whole bunch of new ideas today. And so we'll be going through those for the next few episodes. If you would like to submit something, then please do uh, go to playwrightcast.com slash pitch to go straight to our pitching portal. You can tweet us at playwrightcast or you can email us playwrightcast at gmail.com. That is P-L-A-Y-W-R-I-T-E-C-A-S-T. We are going now to Ashton Herman, longtime friend of the show, who says, You remember that time travel level in Titanfall 2? How could a game take that stage concept and stretch it over an entire campaign? Now, what if it were open world? So have you played Titanfall 2? We should establish this first. (laughs) We should establish, uh, because we've not been on the same page this episode. Yes, I have played Titanfall 2 specifically. I have played uh, the campaign, and uh, I know of the level in question. Cool, cool. Just to give our audience a refresher, I don't think this is a spoiler, really, because there's a ton of mechanics in that game that are super cool, extremely inventive, and definitely worth experiencing. Uh, But there's one level in particular where you are given like a uh, remote control that can move you in between two points in time. Uh, There's like the far future and then the distant past Uh, back when this, uh, you're on like a medical facility or like a robotics facility or something. And, um, and so in the past, there is the security guards that you're dealing with. uh, That is your main kind of shooty challenge. Uh, And then in the present day i guess it would be the kind of far future it is like a this place has fallen into ruin and was overtaken by these kind of dinosaur like beasts and so you're fighting those off and so oftentimes you'll use that clicker as a way of uh, teleporting yourself out of harm's way uh, but you'll find yourself in just as much trouble in this alternate timeline so there's a lot of going back and forth of of circling behind enemies and then getting behind where the enemies in the other timeline are. It's, it's very exhilarating. It's, it's really cool. And I think it leaves a lot of doors open in a portal kind of way. So let's see what we can do with that. Um, now that we mentioned portal, that's actually like a really interesting addition to this game. Like what if there was some sort of a, physical limitation on this time portal I, I like the idea of of switching back and forth with a button press but maybe it's like a like working up to that point just like in portal how you solve a few test chambers with just your hands and then you get a portal gun that can only shoot one portal and then finally many many test chambers in you're given control of both portals yeah i think that what it would be really interesting too if you bring portals into it is the ability to kind of throw a portal onto a surface and shoot a grenade from sort of the safe zone into the, you know, future zone where, you know, you're maybe in more trouble. Um, So the ability to not just flash back, but rather 
use the tactical advantage that one time period might provide um, against the other time period. That's interesting. Yeah, because let's say you can bring things from those previous time periods. And so if you were to throw one of those time portals on the ground, right, where there is an explosion going off, then there's there would be like a Bomberman-like wall of flame that would shoot out of that portal and potentially take out any threats that are in the way in the present timeline. Yeah, and can you imagine if in one timeline you have... Uh, a gas fire and in the other timeline you have gas canisters oh boy uh so lots of environmental stuff can happen like that i think i think that would be cool and and even if talking a little bit about going open world with this sort of stuff you could have this thing so far in the future that literally land masses have eroded um or entire pieces of landscape have changed so you could potentially be inside of something that if you if you phase at the wrong time maybe you find yourself phased into a, a half of a rock um, and you could kill yourself if you're you're not careful about your your choices of time travel yeah i was thinking about creating paradoxes like a butterfly effects like if you were able to somehow trigger something that would change something in the real world but you are in the real world or in the uh, present time preventing that from changing like if you're holding on to a wheel and then in the past timeline you move the wheel away so it wouldn't ever be there in the present timeline then you know whatever was there before would be kind of undergoing a paradox and that would be like this hugely powerful event you know i want players to use paradoxes as a way of like empowerment rather than like, oops, I accidentally teleported into a mountain. I guess I'm dead because I couldn't <laughs> see where I was going. Sure. Yeah, I think that that would be interesting, too. Just imagine if you pick up an object in the future, then you travel to the past, you see the same object, and you destroy it, or potentially the AI yeah, destroys yeah. it, and now the thing that you had in your hand is invisible. Or you could jump further back and destroy an object that potentially an enemy has, right? Like, I'm going to go and blow up the gun room and disarm all the enemies that I'm facing because I was able to do that. Like, fight your way to the gun room in present time, go back in time, blow it up, <laughs> come back, and now you can kind of melee kill everybody because they don't have any weaponry or something in a, in a you know, in a controlled way. I, yeah. I imagine that, that experience could be replicated several times in a Far Cry, like, encampment sort of level feel. What if creating a paradox was like setting off a bomb? That is the objective in each of these kind of encampments that you go to. And so it kind of plays a lot like um, Uncharted or Tomb Raider, where you're trying to find ruins of something that were old and then right at the center of this platformery, puzzly type of temple or old broken down facility or whatever it is you find something that exists in both timelines and then through your um your time portal technology you can cause the two to like touch each other or something and create this yeah. massive paradox explosion that would like close off and seal an area that's really cool so yeah you take two things that shouldn't be able to exist in the same space and if they come into contact with each other. So that gives you, if you do have like a physics-y half-life type of gun, 
that you can kind of yeah. grab these things and launch them into each other. Launching the past version or the future version of something into itself can cause these massive time explosions, if that makes any sense. Yeah, yeah. Because, of course, the root of uh, time travel paradoxes is that if the future version of something that existed in the past affects the thing in the past, then it is like an infinite loop. loop right, of, yeah. Right. Like, it wouldn't be able to... It wouldn't have been where it was in the first place to act on that force because it was being displaced in a way. That, yeah, all of this kind of yeah. grandfather paradox type stuff. So I yeah, think and you can really get cool. a little fakey Terminator, -y, you know, like with yeah, any sure. <laughs> sci-fi thing, you can kind of play it fast and loose. I love the idea of throughout the game, you uh, as opposed to like getting new powers or whatever, as the game progresses, you actually get periods of time. So maybe you yeah. control the size of the map, but like, just imagine being able to go back in time where there was like all sorts of crazy wild animals and then go into the future where there are some enemies and just like unleash these wild animals on this like sci-fi <laughs> place uh, and really cause some, some of that good Far Cry-esque havoc. One of the things that is um, perhaps intimidating about that idea is that uh, kind of like one of the very very early ideas that i pitched actually was about a uh, platformer that takes place inside of a television and you switch channels to change the world around you uh, between you know different genres of of film and tv um, yeah. kind of like gex but anyways is um it requires if, the whole thing to right. be yeah, very yeah. overmade. So if you unlock a different time period, then that means that everything in the world has to be may it has to be, you know, modeled for that time period. There has to they have to rethink the entire open world map, which seems kind of untenable unless we kind of constrict the range at which each of these time periods, almost like a uh, like a Doctor Who scenario where part of this map is suffering some sort of a temporal anomaly there's some sort of like a like wormholes opening up all over the place and they each lead to like one different period of time and then you can within that small corner of the map you know do whatever you need to do to close that wormhole and um and save that present day period of time from being overtaken by it but at the same time maybe there are some areas that are like a venn diagrams they overlap and so in those little slivers you can change between all three of them and so there might be a school building there and then you can switch between the 1800s the you know 2050s and the uh ancient prehistoric times I think that that's cool. And you could obviously write in a fictional reason why maybe some event or some natural phenomenon, some sort of crazy eclipse that only happens once every X amount of years happened, you know, at these places, at these different times, uh, so that they were obviously an, an eclipse happens to everybody, but <laughs> some better reason than what, yeah. what I just said. <laughs> uh, and that would be really interesting too. If like, if your time travel remote or whatever is able to discover like throughout the game, different frequencies. Right. And so yeah. once you can, once you can access frequency X, Y, or Z, that means you can go back to that part of the map and replay it in it's, you know, two uh, or 
three time periods, whatever the ones that are designated for that part of the map. So instead of getting three locked periods of time for the entire world or two locked periods of time, you could do authored periods right, of time yeah. for different sections of the map. I think that's really smart. Age. But that doesn't just, um, it, you don't have to play the entire game between just two periods of time because, you know, that can get old seeing a lot of the same assets and stuff. It's kind of fun to mix it up and get a little bit of uh, Victorian England or, you know, uh, yeah, Native American like, um, Imagine having to sneak into a base and then you kind of get that, you know, the Gotham by gaslight yeah, uh, exactly. feel to the whole thing. That's really cool. <laughs> yeah. And it keeps it unpredictable too. Uh, we are well over time on that one, which is cool. It's a great idea. Thank you very much, Ashton, for that one. Always a reliable source of fun ideas that we have a lot of fun talking about. So uh, we have to come up with a name for that. Um, of course, time is a well of uh, puns and references. And so we can go with something like uh, time after time. I, that sounds like something <laughs> we might have done before. <laughs> you know what? You may have accidentally titled it. I love the sound of of course time. Of course time. <laughs> yeah. When, <laughs> okay. Um, that That's kind of interesting to me. Or like, you know, you're kind of on a course or there's something about because the titanfall thing titanfall the campaign feels very like there's a flow to it you yeah. know so if you get into these different sections of the world and they do feel like really nicely authored platforming and combat you know zones then they could feel like obstacle courses of sorts yeah all right well of course time <laughs> of course and of course and of course <laughs> uh, if you would like to submit a game of your own from your own brain or from the brain of your friends, we won't tell anybody, uh, then you can submit that to playwrightcast.com slash pitch. You can tweet us at playwrightcast or email us playwrightcast at gmail.com. Yeah, tell us a crazy idea that your friend had, then we'll make a show about it. You send this to your friend and say, hey, happy birthday, happy anniversary. That I got an entire podcast done about <laughs> you and your idea. <laughs> We're it, now a party trick. This is the best gift that you can send anyone. It really is. And our favorite gift is, of course, our theme song, Hello World, from Protodome of the mm. album Blue Noise. It's very good. And you should go give him, just give him some money. Just find a way. <laughs> the gift of music. All right. Well, uh, do you have a small little idea? to take us out of the show today. Yes, I wanted to pitch a snowball physics simulator where you have to catamari-like go around amassing more <laughs> and more power and force and speed uh, as starting off just a tiny snowball. I like that. Oh, gosh, I could, I could go on about that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it sounds chill. It does sound really interesting. We might have to circle around and revisit that at some point because uh, there are some places to go there. But anyways, if you have anything to add to that, then uh, please do tweet at us. We'd be very curious to hear where you would go with a snowbox physics, a snow, snowbox, snowball. It could be a snowbox. Who cares? Yeah. <laughs> we call it snowbox. Snowbox. All right. Well, anyways, that's, uh, that's more than enough discussion on that. Thank you for joining us. Bye. Bye.